The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 welcome. I added a fourth one because we have four panelists today. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. This is the second of four very special episodes we're doing featuring MBA professors and MBA students at Baylor University in Texas, joined by an SAP thought leader each week. Today's buzz, your managers. What is she talking about? Well, let's get down to business here. Do you want to improve your organization's performance management I think you do, but have you been so laser focused on fixing your formal HR processes and your tools, you know, the appraisal process, maybe you're even looking and drilling down field by field in the appraisal form, and you're ignoring something that's right there in front of your eyes, your managers, their point of view, their day-to-day management style. Well, stop and listen up. You're looking in the wrong place. Are you surprised? Well, you may be because there's been a scarce of research on ideal performance management from the manager's perspective. How do they define it? How can they manage effectively, especially if the HR tools don't really support them and don't mention this too out loud, but may even hinder them in terms of the ongoing performance management process. I have good news for you. SAP and Baylor University researchers have studied the best practices, tools, and processes that empower the kinds of natural manager behaviors. I can't wait to find out more about that. That can make performance-based job assignments, promotions, and pay decisions even better than ever before. It's time for you all to listen up and take notes Let's get started with my panel, The Experts Speak. First up is Dr. Gary Carini. He's Professor of Management and Associate Dean for Graduate Business Programs at the Hankammer School of Baylor University. And Gary sent me this wonderful quote from John F. Kennedy. It's familiar to me and it may be to many of our listeners. The quote is, we choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Wonderful, inspirational quote. Gary Carini, welcome. How are you today? Hey, I'm, I'm well, Bonnie. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Talk to me. Interesting quote. Yeah, I was, I was really struck by this and actually uh, ran across it years ago, but was reminded of it maybe two years ago. This is from JFK at Rice University in about 1962, in the fall of 1962. And the key part that you had uh, just read especially strikes me, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. And it's just a reminder, don't, don't take the easy way out. Go after the tough stuff. And what I, what I tell my students and companies that I work with uh, is as you're standing in December 31st looking back on the year, 
Have you had those challenges that have stretched you? Have you have you shied away from uh, from things that are tough? Um, how do you how do you evaluate how that year went? And again, this is a reminder: just because it's tough, don't don't avoid it. And I think so many times we're risk averse and we want to dial risk down to zero, uh, and and maybe take the easy way out. Organizations are tough, so I'm thinking it in, of it in this particular realm. Mm-hmm. Organizations are tough to manage. You have to be creative. The best breakthroughs are because people stared at the face um, at something that, that was, in fact, very, very tough. So I think we find fascinating things in the confounding problems, the paradoxes, the sort of that complexity that baffles us at first. But the more we step into it, not just as individuals, but as, as teams, we can achieve um, incredible results. And I think are often surprised by that, that idea generation, the intuition at work, um, the innovation that then occurs. So by going after those tough stuff, tough things, uh, rather, that, that innovation will, in fact, be stirred. Very interesting, Gary. As you're speaking, I'm, I'm reflecting on the quote in your comments, and I'm thinking sometimes the easy way out or the easy way in is to look at a process or a tool. It's inanimate, right, Gary? It's there. Right. Well, HR practice number 2022.8.5, uh, we have to take a serious look at Let's form a committee. Let's investigate it. Let's set it up with a focus group. Whereas when you look at what I mentioned in the intro, the manager's point of view, the manager's style, the manager's day-to-day activities in terms of the process, it's harder working with people and saying to a person, gee, you really are on the right track, but that doesn't fit with the way we do things around here. So I think dealing with the managers may be that hard place that's even more difficult. Do you agree? Yes, I sure do. Uh, and, um, and, And your comment also reminds me of an article in the LA Times years ago comparing two managers each at age 40. One was a first-line supervisor, actually, and the other was an executive. What's the difference? The first-line supervisor reduced every decision to that policy manual. And if, it, if that particular decision uh, was not in the policy manual to guide that, that first-line supervisor, they made up a new policy. What did the executive do? There's, there's a lot of gray, and I'm not talking about ethically-based decisions, but there's a lot of judgment call, and that's the tough stuff. So the first-line supervisor, 20 years into his career, was in fact a first-line supervisor, never approached those challenges. In contrast, the executive said, this is tough, this is great, I have to make some judgments, that's what I'm getting Mm -hmm. paid for. So fascinating contrast there as well, consistent with what you're saying. Thank you, Gary. Pleasure to have you on the show. Well, thank, you. And let's, thank you. And let's introduce our first Baylor MBA student on today's panel. She's Hannah King. And Hannah sent me a wonderful quote from Thomas Jefferson. Interesting. We have two presidential quotes. John F. Kennedy was our 35th president and Thomas Jefferson, one of the American founding fathers, principal author of the Declaration of Independence, in case you all forgot, and the third president of the U.S. And here's the quote. Nothing is more unequal than the equal treatment of unequal people. Is that a conundrum, or is that something we're going to crochet on the side of a pillow and stare at it for a couple of decades? Hannah King, great quote. Welcome. How are you? Thanks. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Talk to me about your quote. Well, this is a quote that I read in a book that we had for our organizational behavior class I took last semester, and it has just resonated with me ever since I read it. Um, I'm someone that really likes equitable treatment. However, this really highlights that people are different, and it it particularly applies to performance management. 
because you're working with people, everyone's different. They have their unique skills, their unique abilities and interests. And as a manager, you have to know those. You can't treat everyone the same. There was one example in some of the interviews that we conducted where this company that I was speaking with, their primary way to acknowledge and affirm employees was to send out a region-wide kudos email. Well, one manager said that she knew one of her employees did not, would, uh, would not appreciate that, that, in fact, that type of recognition would make their skin crawl. So you have Ooh. to know your employees as a manager, and you have to adjust your management style for the various situations that you face. Thank you, Hannah. And that reminds me of what the quote that from JFK that Gary Carmini just shared. It's hard to do it that way, isn't it, Hannah? It's a lot of work when you have to treat unequal people in the best way for who they are and what they bring to the table. Thank you, Hannah, and welcome again. And let's turn to your colleague, another Baylor University MBA student. He's Kevin D. Mitchell. Kevin and I share the same middle initial. I'm sure they stand for different things. And Kevin sent me a wonderful quote from Daniel J. Boorston, the American historian at the University of Chicago, who was appointed the 12th librarian of the U.S. Congress in 1960. 75, and by the way, he lived to age 90. Here's the quote. The greatest obstacle to discovery is not ignorance. It is the illusion of knowledge. Ooh, good one. Kevin Mitchell, welcome. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you, Bonnie. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to talk about this quote because it was so interesting and, and foundational for me, you know, as a, a student and as someone who loves information and loves academics, it's it's really interesting to know that no matter how much knowledge that we have or how much that we learn, there's always more. You know, there's always the further, you know, that we can go. So uh, this, this article, I mean, this quote was great. And there's trillions and trillions of pieces of information out there in the universe. And it's really, really great to know that uh, we can access that information, but it hasn't seemed to help us in the business realm. You know, performance management is something that's been studied for years and years, yet we haven't gotten any better at it. And I did a little bit of research, and Google has about 2 million search queries each minute of every day, and several thousand of those searches are about performance management. So it's just interesting Ooh. that we have all these MBAs and we have all these business professionals, but we really don't know how to manage managers and how to effectively manage our employees. So we have to look at this and then look at ourselves and figure out um, is the information we have applicable to um, the situations that we are and how this information can be used to further our performance, our business operations, and our, our business um, in, in every business sense. So I really like this quote, and I think it's, it's great, not only in the business sense, but also in the personal sense. Thank you, Kevin. Now, while you're speaking, I'm thinking of the idea of ego. Uh, the greatest obstacle to discovery is not ignorance. We certainly don't want to admit we're ignorant, but that's part of the discovery process is saying, I don't know, I want to discover. But the illusion of knowledge, I think we get all puffed up when we discover something and we say, oh, that's it, I'm done. I have my theory, I have my thesis, I can go talk about it. Do you agree? We, we get so so happy that we discover something that we think we have more knowledge than we do. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's what I think the, the quote refers to is that sometimes we settle and we, and we um, get happy with the fact that we have all this knowledge and we're able to obtain all this information, and then we stop. And uh, mm -hmm. I was a football player uh, at Baylor University, and it's always about continuing on and being better. 
So if ever you're in a place of complacency, then that's when you get passed up. So you need to take that knowledge and use it to propel you in the future and not settle for uh, what you were able to obtain at that moment. Thank you very much, Kevin. Good to have you on the panel. And let's bring on our fourth panelist. She's already been on SAP Radio a while ago. Happy to welcome her back. She's Dr. Gabby Berlassu, Customer Insights Specialist in Global Innovation Enablement at SAP. That's a long business card, Gabby. And Gabby sent me a quote from Coach K, speaking of sports, the Duke basketball head coach. His real name is Mike Shashevsky. I won't even attempt to spell that. Since 1980, he served as the head men's basketball coach at Duke. He led the Blue Devils to five NCAA championships, 12 Final Fours, 12 ACC regular season titles, and 13 ACC tournament championships. I think he knows what he's talking about. Here's the quote. When you win, sometimes it overshadows a poor performance. Sounds a little like uh, related to Kevin's quote. Welcome back, Abby. How are you today? I'm doing great, Bonnie. Great to be back. Thank you. Talk to me about the quote from Coach K. So this, like so many sports coaching quotes, just perfectly illustrates to me where performance management is heading, where the trends are going. It's no longer just about the win or the target being hit or the evaluation you get once a year on whether you met your work goals. It's increasingly becoming about that ongoing, continuous management of performance. You know, ensuring that employees are not only hitting their targets and doing the right things, but doing it in the right way, doing it ethically, doing it in a way that's compatible with company culture, mission, vision, etc. So essentially, performance management is no longer about the win. It's about the performance that happens along the way. And speaking to Gary Carini's quote, you know, which do you think is easier, managing that win at the end of the year or continuously evaluating employee performance? Certainly, performance management is getting more difficult, more complex. Okay. Thank you very much, Gabby. Good good relating the quotes back and forth. Um, are you a basketball fan? Uh, not particularly, but uh, come March, I think everybody is. There you go. I appreciate that. Tell you what, I'm going to circle back to Gary Carini, and I'm going to ask you probably the toughest thing I'm going to ask you all day during the show today is, what's in your cup today? What are you drinking? Anything special about a beverage related to Baylor? Or what are you going to be drinking after the show, Gary? Well, right now I'm actually drinking um, home roasted coffee. I I, uh, I learned last uh, October that you could actually home roast coffee at home, and so since then I've been roasting my own coffee. So uh, just for today, I, I usually have it in the morning at at, at home, um, and today I brought it in so I could actually respond to your question honestly, saying Aww. I'm drinking coffee that I roasted last night at home from Ethiopia. Now, tell me, just give us a little idea. How do you home roast coffee? What's the process? In a hot air popcorn popper. Are you serious? Literally. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Are you, is this something I could Google and come up yes, with a formula? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You can actually YouTube this. And uh, it's fascinating. In about, oh, seven or eight, maybe ten minutes, depending on the green beans that you have and where they're from, because I'm learning beans are, are different. You throw those in a hot air popcorn popper. Watch it. It's got to be side vented, not bottom vented. Uh, it's that simple. And 10 minutes later, you've got home roasted beans. You have to do it in the garage or outside because uh, it'll. Uh, it's not good for in-house. You need some good venting. But I okay. do it in my garage, and, and it smells like 
I have roasted coffee in the garage. It is wonderful. It must smell divine. I've looked it up and roast your own coffee with a popcorn popper at yep. instructables.com, roasting it at ineedcoffee.com. There you uh, turn go. It che- Turn a cheap popcorn popper into a DIY coffee roaster. Fabulous yes. tip. Thank you, Gary. Yes, yes, go for it. Give it a try. I certainly will. Yeah, Let's fun. turn to Han- Hannah King. Anything that interesting in your cup? I'm not <laughs> going to make you compete with Gary, but you go ahead if you want to try. Well, unfortunately, I am one of those that likes a little bit of coffee with my creamer, so I, I don't have anything too fancy um, this morning. However, if I could be drinking anything that um, I could get my hands on, it would be a cup of Intelligentsia coffee. It's a great little coffee shop that I discovered um, while I lived in Chicago. They have a couple locations in New York and L.A., and they have a wonderful brew from Zambia. I'm not going to try to pronounce the name, um, mm. but it is just the best coffee that I have had. So very smooth, light, just a, a great cup of joe. Wonderful. Glad you shared that with us. Kevin D. Mitchell, what's in your cup, or what are you drinking after the show? Well, Bonnie, uh, actually, instead of a cup, I have a bottle, and it's called a Beast Bottle, and the acronym uh, spelled out how it sounds. And the B stands for breakfast, E is for eat often, A is for always hydrate, S is for sleep, and T is for think lean protein. And I actually got this uh, bottle from being a uh, collegiate football player, and it's always important to carry around water with you. So during Lent, I made a vow to myself that, you know, I would lay off all the sodas, lay off all the sonic drinks, and try mm-hmm. to get a, at least three or four beast bottles each day. So uh, I won't say <laughs> I've stuck to that completely, but I've done a pretty good job of, you know, getting through uh, several of these beast bottles each day. And it just, it just helps me detox, and it's, it's been really great. So that's what I'm drinking right now. Wonderful. Thank you. I'm very impressed with your discipline, Kevin. And as a sports person, you need to have that in order to win. Gabby Burlasu, what are you drinking today? Yes, Bonnie. I am drinking a cup of delicious coffee. So a few months ago, I had the opportunity to visit with the Baylor students and professors in Waco, Texas. It was an absolutely wonderful visit. Um, And they gave me some really good Baylor branded coffee that I've managed to save for just this phone call. And it's really fantastic. Thanks to all on the call. How lovely. How lovely very much. I want to thank all of you for sharing your coffee drinks with me. And guess what? It is time for us to go to our first break. I just want to tell our listeners that we're talking about a very important topic, employee performance, but we're looking at it from the perspective of empowering your managers to optimize the process, the ongoing performance management process. Take the hard route. Look at the people. See what they can do to impact it. Don't just go for your HR processes. No lazy way. We're going to make this a lot easier by the time my panel is finished sharing their insights and their research. We're talking today with Dr. Gary R. Carini at Baylor University, Hannah King, and Kevin D. Mitchell, both university MBA students at Baylor, and Dr. Gabby Burlasu at SAP. We have a great topic today. It impacts every company of every size. You want to stick around and listen. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We'll be right back after the break. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. 
By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are. We've got a packed house today, full panel of Dr. Gary Carini, Hannah King, Kevin D. Mitchell, all at Baylor University, and Dr. Gabby Berlasu from SAP. And we're talking about employee performance, performance management, big topic. How can you empower your managers to make it all come together? Gary Carini is going to do the honors in starting us off on our roundtable. And, Gary, I'm looking at your notes from before the show. I think I found a great place for us to start. You say, working with people cannot be reduced to a recipe. We really need to gain knowledge, skills, and abilities that enable us to tailor our roles as leaders to the particular context. Gary, why don't you expand this for us, please? Absolutely. Glad to, Bonnie. I I think I'm struck by a couple things. One is um, a lot of the articles that we see on leadership uh, that have have title, uh, have as part of their title, um, the three best ways to do this, five steps to doing this, eight uh, eight ways not to do this. And so it's, it's sort of that reduced to the impression of the reader could be if I do these three things or five mm-hmm. things or eight things, then I will have this perfect organization. And so we're deluded, we're, we're lured into that saying, but I did those five things or whatever uh-huh. it is, and we don't achieve high performance. So, so hanging on to that, the other piece that I'm struck by is if you look at the number of books on leadership and performance management that have been published in the last 12 months, so do a, an Amazon search on those, an advanced search, it is literally 90-plus thousand books have been published. This does not include blogs, articles, just books. The number's mm. astounding. And so in a sense, it might, it might, my, my criticism would be this is treated in sort of what we read as just cotton candy. Just, just do it, get it done. And it's far more complex that requires that tailoring, that, that honing in on the specific organization, the group, the team, the individual, um, to, to really, really get to know them. I, I refer my mind to Peters and Waterman in, in Search of Excellence, uh, 1982 book that's then coming up again saying, we need to just do management by walking around because you pick up rich information when you actually look people eyeball to eyeball and talk to them. Thank you, Gary. Uh, very interesting. I'm, I'm thinking of a, a similar, very nonsensical comparison is we all know if we buy the right car, 
We yeah. all know that. We buy the right car that we see on TV. We know we're going to live a happier life. We're going to have better jobs. We're going to have more beautiful children. We're going to live healthier because that's the formula, right? You do what somebody yep. tells you. You follow the follow the. Well, you remember this. I don't know if anybody else on the panel is following the, the bouncing ball and connect the dots, sure. and everything will be fine. And and uh, I have a question for you, Gary. What size companies are we referring to? Can we have a reference point here? Is the ongoing performance management process broken in every company? Are startups doing it right? Or are startups just buying some HR tools and saying, okay, Bob, you're in charge of HR. Let's make sure Mary, John, and Sybil get their uh, three-month review, and you're going to fill out these three forms, and everything would be great. Is this something that's across the board in all companies, Gary? Yeah, and, and I, don't, I don't find that specific to the size or the nature of the industry. Okay. Um, and and the, so the good news there is you can find this being done, say, human performance management, uh, well in large companies and small companies and startups. Uh, sometimes if we take the startup example, they are, they are um, in a sense, rightfully focusing on their mission or vision, um, and they're just assuming everybody's going to be in place uh, and, and get it done. And actually their focus on their mission means they're not focusing on the people if you go back to uh, Jim Collins' book, Great by Choice, he said, let's get the right people on the bus first. And we all use that for quite a number of years as that book came out in 2001. Yes, you do, and focus on them. And I can think in my mind of a division that has 500 people where the culture, the feel of going in that area um, where there are 500, approximately 500 people, so we have a culture where people matter. People like to go into mm-hmm. that company. Um, in Texas, we, we just because we're here and close to Dallas, we often refer to the culture at uh, Southwest Airlines. And that's one in which, as we, we have several Baylor grads um, that are there working there, the culture is such that they are tailoring this kind of stuff. Things are not really broken. To an extent, you can always find stuff in organizations. I mean, we're human beings. We're fallible. But really, really doing it well in, in response to your question, both large and small companies and then across industries. Thank you. Very interesting. Good perspective, Gary. Hannah King, join us on this conversation. What do you think about working with people cannot be reduced to a recipe? What does your research show? Well, I completely agree with that statement. I think the interviews that we've conducted and part of the research that we have done over the past couple of months has definitely reiterated that to us, that performance management is not one size fits all, uh, particularly because of something that Dr. Carini just mentioned, which is culture. Organizations are different. One thing that is very successful, say, at Southwest, may not be successful at another airline, say, American. So as managers are going into a situation, they really need to evaluate not only the people going back to you know, treating unequal people equally, but also to the situation because situations are unequal in, them, in themselves. And so that evaluation needs to take place so that the appropriate tools and skills um, are applied to have the most efficient effect. Thank you, Hannah. Kevin, join us. What do you think? Yes, and I would have to jump on the bandwagon and agree with that uh, statement and actually focus on the employees and the managers themselves. And one of the statements that in conducting some of this research that I like is that there are, are different strokes for the same folks. And that means that uh, according to job function and difficulty and length of time of projects, et cetera, uh, you need to adjust how you manage people or actually how you approach managers themselves. So it's really interesting um, uh, perspective in that each person requires different levels of attention and different approaches. 
and uh, Hannah alluded to it um, correctly. It's it's when people are different, you need to change how you address them or how uh, you reward them in, in certain situations. So it's all uh, situational, and situational leadership is is foundational in performance management. Thank you, Kevin. Gabby. Yes, Bonnie, um, I think all four panelists are in complete agreement here. And I want to echo something that Hannah said. Um, You know, different companies have different cultures, so different performance management processes will work or won't work. But I think also within organizations, you have huge individual differences. And this is one of my issues with fixing HR tools in an effort to fix performance management HR tools very typically ignore these differences. You've got one form, one process for all managers across a company to use. And I think that's one of the main reasons that HR tools can fail in certain parts of the company is that maybe it's not about focusing on fixing those formal processes and more about focusing on the managers in terms of how they manage performance and where those differences are on that level. Thank you, Gabby. Gary, since you started this thread, you want to wrap it up for me before I turn to some notes from Hannah King? I think the challenge, based on all the all the comments um, from from everyone, is so how do we learn to do that? And I and I think mm-hmm. that's where again acquiring knowledge when we when we assume that there's no ceiling on learning, um, we pick up perspectives on how to do this well, how to do the tailoring. Um, Gabby's comment, where as as we see performance management, here's your form, fill it out. It's not the tailoring approach, and 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 as as others have said, one size does not fit all. Okay, got that. How do we learn to tailor? And that's where we assume I I got a lot more to learn. Um, there there are several authors that have talked about leadership that I really like. Uh, when you ask somebody, are you a leader? The best leaders say, no, I'm learning how to be a leader. And you can hear that word learning. And others, mm-hmm. when you ask, are you a leader? Um, they say, yeah, yeah, I'm leading an organization. You don't really want to work with, with the latter because they have assumed they've acquired all knowledge. And I think the most humble leaders, obviously going with that word humble, are those that say, I got a lot more to learn because I want to learn how to tailor. And I think some of the best information might come from the least likely places. Uh, As I think about leadership and what I've used in companies, I'm picking up a a lot from historical biographies and how um, different leaders um, in a different realm from an organization encounter uh, tough situations. How, how, how are they tenacious? How do they persevere? How do they pursue in hardship? How do they react to hardship? Reading about that and also experiencing it, as we all do, that's life, um, really enables us to tailor and hone in on the specificity that we're talking about with this piece of research that Baylor's doing. Thank you very much, Gary. I'm turning to Hannah King right now. Hannah, some interesting notes here. You say poor performers. Let's get right down to it. We're talking about performance management. We want to improve it. We want to make employees give them the opportunity to be better at their jobs. So you say poor performers are the largest drain on a manager's resource. They require more attention, more guidance, more monitoring. And then you add, and this is intriguing to me, Hannah, managing a poor performer, quote, around a corner, unquote, can be extremely rewarding. Why don't you tell me what this is, Hannah? All right. Thanks so much, Bonnie. This was one of the big takeaways from the interviews that we conducted throughout our research. Um, We went in asking a lot of managers, employees, and senior leaders, you know, how do you how do you identify poor or high performers? How do you manage around high performers? And one of the um, 
people that I spoke with gave this great um, insight to us saying, you know, high performers, they're pretty easy to manage. In fact, he said that, you know, it's like getting in a Ferrari as compared to working with a poor performer who's like getting into a jalopy and trying to, you know, have that race. So poor performers require so much maintenance. Um, and, you know, it could be that it's a fit uh, in the position that they are in, which is what goes around the kind of managing a poor performer around a corner. The person that I was speaking with said that, you know, those low performers, they require so much attention. They require some micromanaging just to make sure that they're getting everything done on their plate. And it could just be that they're in the wrong position. So yes. it's working with your people, knowing what they need, knowing their skills, and maybe identifying another position for them to be in, whether it's another position entirely or if it's a different facet of their existing position. Maybe it's realigning what they're doing with their specific skills. There were a number of examples that were given. Um, another one was someone who was working in a specific area in um, a hiring firm, and they found that his particular skills were more aligned with a different area. So previously, he had been a struggling person that one manager had said, you know what, if we can't turn this person around, then let's just fire him. A new mm -hmm. manager came in, and now he is succeeding and one of the top performers in the organization. So it's finding wow. that employee's skills and working with them to make sure that they are the best at what they do. Good perspective, Hannah. It, it goes back to our idea that performance management cannot follow a recipe. It's not connect the dots. It's not fill in the fields on the form. It sounds like it really takes a lot of creativity, patience, and maybe compassion on the part of somebody's manager or a series of managers to find that nugget of gold about that employee, whether it's a new position, whether it's a new perspective, whether it's a different workload. You agree? It, it takes somebody to care. Isn't that what it really boils down to, Hannah? Yeah, I think it, it certainly does. I know that it, one of the things that we've learned in our organizational behavior course, particularly through um, the book First Break All the Rules, is that an employee's relationship with their direct manager will be the primary factor in determining their um, success in a position and the way that they feel about their job. So having a manager that really takes the time to listen to their employees is critical, especially for those poor performers. Thank you very much. Kevin Mitchell, weigh in on this. What do you think? Yeah, I think the best word in that um, entire statement was about um, caring. And okay. through my research and through the research that we've done as a group and in, in interviewing some of these senior leaders and managers and employees, the most important factor or one of the most important factors was emotional intelligence. And that's a key phrase, having that ability to care and, and know what each person is feeling, what each employee is feeling, is, is instrumental in having effective performance management, effective management, excuse me, and then allowing managers to do their job. So I think it goes back to, yes, caring, allowing people to be personable and to say, hey, I know what you're feeling, I know um, what you're going through, and if I give you a tough project, I need to stand by you and understand that it takes time. So it, it all weighs back to the individual caring about uh, the employee or the colleague, anybody that they're working with. Thank you, Kevin. Gabby, join us. What do you think? 
Well, I absolutely love this insight, Bonnie. So when we structured this interview study as a collaborative research effort between SAP and Baylor, we were really concerned with finding out how managers naturally manage employee performance to ultimately be able to build tools that support that instead of following the traditional HR tools recipe. Um, And a lot of our focus was around supporting managers in managing high performers. We thought, you know, that's really where the meat is. And what we found uh, through this insight, completely unexpectedly, although it certainly makes sense, is that maybe we were barking up the wrong tree. Uh, You know, maybe it's not so difficult to manage those high performers. Maybe where managers really need support in order to be effective is in this other area. So this is just a fabulous example of the surprises that research can bring in this area. Good, good. And that ties back to our our concept in the beginning about researching and looking for the tough stuff, right? Going behind the scenes and asking the difficult questions, hopefully coming up with some great answers. Gary Carini, thoughts on this topic, please? Um, I think think my reaction is yes, while I agree, and then I go to the next step in my mind, which is, and going back to Kevin, what you'd said, it, it is nice to care, and then why don't we do this? And again, we, we can read, it's walk the talk kind of stuff. We don't do this because we live in a culture or society that says, get it done now. As I teach the executive MBA students in the Baylor programs in Austin and Dallas, and we're, they're, they're all working full time, why don't you get it done? And they said, because Wall Street's breathing down our neck because our investors have short-term objectives, financial objectives. So if we take more time to do this thing, which caring would require, then at the same time, we won't meet those objectives. So out with the caring, get it done. But I think coming into that saying, but that's the wrong approach. And we we can also say, and if we don't invest in people, in the long run, and that's a key phrase that I'll pick up on later, in the long run, we will not be successful. So it does take that input of caring to be successful in the long term, yet we do live in this world where there's tension saying, and get it done yesterday. Thank you, Gary. Kevin Mitchell, I'm looking at, I'm trying to keep this moving along. I'm going to give Hannah one one minute here. Do you want to wrap this one up since this was your topic before I move to some of Kevin's notes? I, I think what everyone has said and added to this has been great. You know, again, this was a big takeaway for us. And then going back to what Dr. Carini said, that we're, we're living in a world that doesn't really allow for this. And I think that's one of the big takeaways is that organizations need to allow time, maybe relieve some pressures in other areas so that managers can really get to know their employees because ultimately that's where the value is in the organization. That's where the work is done, and that is where – Um, you know, organizations have the most potential is in their employees and how effectively they do their jobs. So I think that is one big thing that organizations should really take from this particular point uh, that we've come, um, come to the conclusion of. Thank you, Hannah. Good topic. I'm moving now to Kevin's notes. Kevin, there's something that jumps out at me here in the notes you sent me. You say the Yelpification of performance mm. management. Performance, every time I see that word, I always sit up and say, what? Uh, performance <laughs> evaluations must be a two-way street, employees and managers. Really? What planet are we on here, Kevin Mitchell? Talk to me. <laughs> I guess we're on planet <laughs> Mars. But, yeah, I, I actually have to give you the credit for uh, that word, Yelpification. I listened to uh, one of your radio spots uh, several weeks ago, maybe several months ago. Yeah. And uh, I had to look up the word, and it was interesting to me. Um, in order to get the best out of a system or an organizational structure, you need other parties 
to give their input. And so when you go on Yelp or you go on um, housing reviews or restaurant reviews, you have tons of tons of comments and you are able to see what people said about, you know, said restaurant or said apartment or said hotel. And that gives you the inclination of whether or not you should join or you should be a part of that. And so that's something that you can apply in the business world in performance management. If you allow those employees or those managers to give feedback in those formal, formal HR processes, those KPIs, key performance indicators, um, in those annual appraisals, you can improve that system. So it just takes, you know, some time. Allowing people to say, you know, this doesn't work or this does work can be really um, – can be really foundational, not to use that word over again, but it, it really is instrumental in allowing other people to put their input in performance management. And so that's a big takeaway I took away from some of the uh, interviews that I conducted with senior leaders, managers, and even employees, is they go through the process of the formal HR um, appraisals, and they never hear back. You know, it's a discontinued feedback loop. There's somewhere along the line it's broken, and employees felt like they aren't being heard. So allowing, you know, that yelpification of uh, PM tools or PM processes uh, can, um, can help the organization. Thank you, Kevin. I'm going to read one more of your notes before I ask Abby to jump in on this. You say, if managers do their jobs, annual reviews are largely irrelevant. Performance conversations should be happening more than once a year, good or bad. Great insights. Gabby, talk to me. What do you think about what Kevin just said, said for us? Well, I definitely think it is a best practice to include employees, give employees voice, make sure they heard and understood the feedback. Uh, make sure these conversations are ongoing, right, speaking to the idea that the annual performance review will be obsolete if the manager is doing their job correctly. We know that this is by the book with performance management. We also know that it really doesn't happen often enough. In practice, so many things get in the way of effective performance management and effective manager communication to employees around their performance. And it's the fact that they're accountable for goals, things in their own jobs, you know, maybe it's company culture, maybe it's what Gary spoke to, this this influence of the culture of get things done. But I think, is it something that's needed? Absolutely. Is it something that's happening on a consistent basis in organizations today? Unfortunately, no. Okay. Gary Carini, thoughts? Um, No, just uh, certainly agreeing with the themes, and I think we go back to the root of this, which is that that tailoring, the specificity, the notion of not not aggregating or lumping things together, and the best organizations going forward do that. They do the fine-grained work. They roll up their sleeves, and that's that. I think cuts across all these all these themes. It's, there's a a depersonalized aspect um, of of what we do in organizations in the name of efficiency. But then we cut down on the effectiveness. And, uh, you know, I think, again, going forward, maybe more of a focus on the effective piece, which then incorporates so many of the comments today. Thank you. Hannah King, join us. Thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I've personally also had some of those exact issues with the yelpification of performance management. Another thing on top of that that, that I heard of was just the slow response time. Not only in some cases is the, feed la- or the feedback loop broken, but in other cases it gets back to you four months after you've completed your performance evaluation. And so that slow, that lag time, that lead time that it's taking for employees to hear back about how they're doing, 
that's a missed opportunity because life moves on, the job moves on, other projects are, are started and completed, and so you're missing the opportunity to have a quick feedback. Um, and that's another thing that we heard from a lot of the people that we spoke with was just that they wanted constant and immediate feedback, both good and bad. Employees want to know how they're doing. And that's one of the big takeaways as well, is there, there's a desire innately in the employees that they want to do a good job. And if their manager isn't giving them the feedback, they desire it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I have a comment from one of our listeners, one of our most loyal listeners. It's Karen Geraldo, and she sent this to me and to Kevin, and she says, could we try gamification of the process instead? Kevin, you want to comment on that? <laughs> yes, I mean, I, I, I agree with that as well. Um, and it's interesting, and Hannah hit the nail on the head. It, there's a dichotomy between, um, you know, having that formal review process or that perform, formal performance management process and then getting things done uh, in a timely manner. You know, if, if you tell a manager that you need to have uh, the appraisal done within two weeks, he's going to look at you sideways and say, well, what about all the work that I have? Um, mm-hmm. And so you want, ideally, you want to have that feedback loop uh, to be quicker. And so you can have that evaluation happen within, uh, say, a couple weeks. But realistically, people have things to do uh, aside from uh, performance evaluation. So whether you want to do uh, yelpification or gamification, uh, both probably will be a, an improvement, but uh, it, it takes time. Thank you. Gabby Burlasu, I'm looking at your notes. You sent me so much wonderful information, and we don't have a lot of time, but I found a gem in here, Gabby. A lot of them, but the one I want to talk about now is performance management is an art and a science. It's tricky because we know managers are responsible for their own careers and accountabilities in addition to the performance of their team. What does it mean to be an effective manager, and how is this study contributing? Why don't you give us a little insight into what do you think? Is it art, science? What's the balance point? 50-50, 80-20? What do you think, Gabby? Bonnie, that's a great question. I'm not sure I can accurately uh, weigh the different components uh, okay. of performance management. Um, I almost want to say it's more of an art than a science. We've been doing it as a science for so many years, and now we're at a point where so many companies feel their performance management processes are broken. I think the art really comes from the manager making day-to-day performance-based decisions. So I'll give you a hypothetical example. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say manager X gives Jim a certain job assignment because it plays to Jim's strengths. Uh, he doesn't give Karen that job assignment because he knows it doesn't play to Karen's strengths. Well, how did he make that decision? You know, there's not a lot of help from HR in making those kinds of day-to-day decisions, yet they're absolutely business critical. Uh, so I think, you know, part of effective performance management, again, as I said before, is not just looking at those formal HR processes and how managers interact with those, but really looking to these day-to-day performance-based decisions, understanding how managers make them, ultimately being able to develop tools that support them, but really paying attention to that manager's point of view in carrying out their business goals. Gabby, this brings us brings me thinking about the hiring process. Who do you hire on the management track? 
who do you groom or whom do you groom along the way? How do you pick your managers? Because they need to have that balance. They need to understand it's not just about HR tools, which may be excellent, but are not the end all and be all. You can't just use a recipe. So does this reflect back to the training of managers to begin with, getting that caring word in there somewhere? Should that be part of the requirement? Well, you're a caring person, Bob. I think you do a good job managing because we really want some human touch in this this concept of performance management. We want the human aspect. And we want to understand the individuality of each employee, and that's what you're going to have to do. How do you make that part of that manager's going through the up, up the ladder, Gabby? Bonnie, it is absolutely critical. I think you've really touched on something here that <laughs> we could have a whole radio segment just about that, but I do believe that many people are elevated to the point of being managers because they do well in their current roles, but not necessarily because they'll do well in a manager role. Critical that hiring and training programs account for these kinds of things because we know that employee performance management is becoming so important in determining how the organization functions and performs. Um, In terms of specifics, yes, I would think that you would want that human aspect in managers. From what I have seen out in the field, it is not present often enough. Okay, thank you. Glad I hit. I was as I was asking you the question, Gabby. I was thinking, dang, there's another show. There's really another show. <laughs> yes, we, we we might have to reconvene. Gary Carini, thoughts on what Gabby just put out for yeah, us? Yeah, I I sure do. And it and it strikes me that um, and some of the work we've done is on scenario analysis where we are filming managers. Or I'm sorry, filming future managers in action. And so these are people at a um, in a in a meeting at a company. And, and I would argue, and this certainly is an agreement, that you do observe the person who is a non-manager displaying managerial traits as a non-manager. And so you do see, Bonnie, what you refer to as that high potential in mm-hmm. that person. But, but it, and, it, and it does require really that fine-grained getting to know that person. But when, when we played scenarios um, to people that are observing, so filming a group, what do you think, who's the top performer in that group, and they don't know the job titles, often you can see those traits and stretch it a little bit further. There's your great manager. And so um, if, if we run it through, if we depersonalize it, if it's part of a you know, stack of resumes, we're not going to see that. But the qualitative mm-hmm. information, we're, we're, seeing, we're seeing stuff before their managers that says, that's how I want to run this division. So we do see Thank- that, so it's, and it's fun. Good. Thank you. Hannah King, thoughts on this? Yeah, I think one of the things that's kind of stuck out to me uh, is the, the qualitative value that a lot of times we try to place on a quantitative item. Um, you know, that, again, that goes back to the art versus the science. And how do you, how do you make those decisions? How, how do you give a value to something, um, you know, assign it a number when it's something that's so soft? And that's one of the things that we've, you know, come up against again and again with this um, research that we've done. So I think that's one of the challenges that organizations are facing. You know, we don't have a solution as of yet, um, but I know that that's certainly a struggle. And so it's it's allowing the soft, the art, come through in a world and in a business setting that is relying on the qualitative data. Thank you. Kevin Mitchell, I'm going to give you a one-minute reply here, and then I have to circle back to Gary because we're at the crystal ball predictions round. We're almost out of time. So, Kevin, thoughts on this? Yeah, yeah. And I would just have to agree with what everyone else has said and and add to the fact that uh, in our research, what we found is the most challenging part is um, 
finding out how to find effective managers. And so that leads to the discussion if leaders are born or are they made. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting, um, and, and it is a challenge a lot of organizations go through. Um, being able to train a manager to be effective is a challenge in itself. And I want to quickly read to you a quote from a senior leader, and it just uh, alludes to the fact that you know people are different, and managing a manager, manager style is a challenge in itself. And it says, I have an underlying belief that everyone wants to do, everyone wants to do a great job. My expectations are high, and I use playing favorites to motivate people. Where you stand with your peers can be a driving force. So that just stood out to me as, wow, think how different uh, your manager can be uh, in each organizational organizational structure in each business or each industry. So that's that's just great to me. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate your sharing that. Okay, Gary, we're now down to 30 seconds apiece for predictions. Let's see, the four of you, two minutes. Yeah, that's going to make us tight. All right, I'll give you 45 seconds for predictions. Gary Carini, what would, if you fast forward this conversation to the year 2020 or whatever you see in the crystal ball, what would be different about it? Be really concise. Gary Carini, go. Technology will drive personalization. Uh, we will, we, organizations do get better. We do learn um, we, we get things done. We're, we're getting things done in organizations that are just amazing to us. We will see, um, again, technology drive the specificity of what we're talking about. Um, we'll do a better job. If we were on the show in 2019 you know, or 2020, we would have several examples of how we've done this better. We've learned from needing to uh, tailor things and really hone in on specifics of people. Those would be our top performing companies. Thank you. Hannah King, I'll give you 30 seconds. We're really tight now. Predictions. All right. I think I agree, basically. Um, I think we're going to have some, in 2020, we're going to have some better, more flexible systems that are going to support managers to have the discussions to tailor and customize their management style. When working with people, it's always going to be messy, but we're going to have some systems in place that are going to make it more efficient and just a better process for everyone involved. Thank you very much. Kevin Mitchell, wrap up for us. What are your predictions? Yeah, I agree. I, I think uh, technology infusion along with being able to have a flexible system that addresses uh, day-to-day conversations and uh, day-to-day evaluations or even weekly evaluations are going to be key, uh, if not by uh, 2020, then uh, somewhere in the near future. Thank you very much. And Gabby Burlasu, I saved ooh, one minute for you. Go ahead. All right. Uh, So, Bonnie, to some extent, we know change is already in the air. You know, many companies are already pulling away from those traditional performance evaluation methods from a process perspective. I know what I would like to see by 2019 or 2020 is a greater, you know, occurrence of managers being held accountable for using these new innovative methods to manage employee performance, that maybe some aspect of managers' pay or some aspect of their own performance ratings will be contingent on how effectively they're managing employee performance. And I know some forward-thinking companies are already there. By 2019, 2020, my hope is that it's more commonplace, that it's happening more often than not. Okay. Well, that was brief and to the point. I want to do thank yous to so many people. This was a great conversation. I certainly enjoyed it, and I hope the four of you did. Gary Carini at Baylor, Hannah King, and Kevin D. Mitchell, you all have both have bright future ahead of you. Thank you so much for being so articulate, insightful, and taking the time to prepare for today's show. Gabby Burlesu, what can I say? Always a pleasure to have you, and we'll talk about some more topics. Shout out to my colleague at SAP, Malcolm Kimberlin, who is the, the genius in putting us together for four 
four shows with Baylor. Malcolm, thank you very much. Lori Wilson at Baylor as well. Thanks for all of your work behind the scenes. And Brad at the Business Channel, at the Business Channel and the whole team there. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I have a call to action, and we're right on time. Here we go. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. I'll see you next week here on Coffee Break with Game Changers with episode number three of Baylor and SAP. In the meantime, a lot more radio shows in between. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.